morning, everybody. What a beautiful day. Love the, uh, love the energy here today. So grateful that, that all of you could join us. Um, we're going uh, to switch a couple of things up this morning. Uh, we're actually going to do the announcements first. And uh, we've got a couple of, uh, couple of announcements. So I um, want to uh, thank you for, uh, for being here. Um, first of all, just a quick, quick announcement. Mike asked me to um, to share with share with you all. We need a couple of drivers. Mike, how many do we need? We need uh, two drivers next Thursday between 11 and 2 uh, to make a run to Cherokee County. Drive the bus from here. If you are willing and able to do that, would you please see Mike immediately following off uh, our our time here together? So. Um, Couple of drivers, uh, eleven to two, and uh, we make a real difference. Okay. Um, second thing is we've got uh, we've got some other uh, uh, opportunities here. Um, Art Walsh was actually going to come and talk to us today about Habitat for Humanity, uh, but he couldn't join us. Uh, but there is some information here about s- some work that we're doing, um, and as well, if you would please make make some time to take a look at our sheet, look at some additional opportunities. There's a lot uh, a lot of places that men can serve in the church, make a difference. We've often, often talked about how, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the beauties of serving is that uh, is you also have an opportunity to meet new friends and to engage with others. And Malone talked to us uh, about about the importance of, of uh, hospitality and the importance that service, uh, serving in the church can make. So, please... Uh, Please prayerfully consider these opportunities. Um, with that, um, we are, we've got uh, two, two other announcements, and I'm going to ask Pat McPherson to come up. Um, most of you uh, know Pat. Pat uh, has spoken, us to, uh, spoken with us before. And um, one of the things that we had talked about was that we really wanted to uh, have some educational opportunities, some small group opportunities that would come out of the RUMC men's group. And uh, we had one uh, last year that we introduced called Intentional Leadership. Intentional Leadership. And uh, uh, we had several men from this group and some that weren't from this group join us. And uh, I participated along with uh, some others that are in here uh, today. And the feedback was outstanding. Feedback was outstanding. Um, We are asked to bring Pat back. So we're bringing Pat back again for another small small group study, and um, Pat's going to share with us a little bit about that. Great, thanks, Tim. Thank you. There's a um, little notice on your table, and I invite you just to take a look at it. That gives some information on what I was going to share today. But as Tim mentioned, starting I think at the end of January last year, and we went through early um, May, we met every Friday morning from 6.30 to 7.45, and there was a group of about 10 of us. Um, I know Randy was part of it, and Kevin, and we really had a focus on a discussion on leadership, and with a similar format, we're going to do that again starting on, I had to look at my notes here, on August 28th which is a Friday, and we'll go through right up until Thanksgiving, meeting on Friday mornings again. 
the topic for this fall is intentional discipleship. It is um, something that I kind of pulled together from several different readings and different resources that we'll be talking and exploring as a group. But it is something that over the past 10 years I have noticed in just my personal walk with the Lord that I can be intentional about a lot of things. I can be intentional about work. I can sometimes, and hopefully my wife will say this, be intentional about our marriage. I can be intentional with the kids. But that intentionality loses some of its um, priority when I think of my relationship with Christ. I'm not saying about, I can be intentional about going to church. I can be intentional about serving on committees and getting engaged. But I'm talking about the relationship side. And not just relationship with Christ, but that relationship with each other. That family of Christ. And that's what this coming fall is going to be about. I'm going to ask Kevin to come up because I wanted to have Kevin just share a couple things from last spring that might be of interest for you to hear. But And I'll let you do that now. But um, before I turn over to Kevin, just one other thing. Discipleship, to me, is about one's relationship with Christ. I don't think that's news to anybody in here. <laughs> but what I find is a lot of times when I evaluate that or try to measure that, it gets distracted, for lack of better words. I find myself focusing on maybe church attendance or you know how much quiet time I'm putting in. And that doesn't always relate to discipleship. And so one of the things we'll be doing this fall is unpacking and unlearning what we think is discipleship and then maybe putting in a different view of discipleship that is more <laughs> less about numbers and more about re- relationships. Kevin, come on up and share a couple of things here. You gotta love it when you're put on the spot That's here. right. <laughs> I let him know about five minutes ago we were going to do this, so he's prepared. <laughs> So the intentional leadership course that we took this spring, it intrigued me. I really saw it as an opportunity that I could really self-reflect and see how I could apply maybe a new learning and apply that to being a husband, to being a father, and not only being a, a better Christian, but I would say identify parallels in the Bible and relate it to uh, maybe the business world, you know, being a, a young leader, leading a team, um, and really providing, I think, the right strategies of, of um, not only leading a team, but being, as saying, a good Christian leader and applying some of the principles there. So I, I appreciate it just from the different um, curriculum that Pat put together. Um, it certainly provided an opportunity to, to learn from Pat and his great leadership. But then also to to fellowship um, with with the other folks. I know that you know they had a few folks in the room. I really thought there'd be a mutual benefit in learning and learning um, in good small group discussions. So I, I really appreciated it. 
um, I'd say I'm looking forward to, you know, this fall, the int- intentional discipleship. I, I plan on continuing uh, through that. You know, admittedly, I think this past spring I, I missed a, a day or two because I had some business travel and had some things going on. Uh, but I was able to continue right through in, in part of the discussions. Um, so I want to make sure I'm on the good side of the Lord, so I'm going to continue through it. <laughs> um, but I really look forward to it. So if there's folks in the, in the, the room that have uh, some questions and maybe looking for a different perspective of Pat, of what I thought of it, you know, we, we can chat afterwards and just over a coffee. And I look forward to seeing you all there. There you go. One more thing on the invitation, as Kevin mentioned. The way that I try to navigate through the small group and through the, the, the and the way I do this fall is, it's okay to miss a Friday. We are I know schedules are tight. We don't want you. We want you there every Friday, but don't not join this group just because you might miss one or two or even three dates. Come be a part of it, and we'll include you. We'll be meeting right downstairs, right underneath this room on Friday mornings. If you have any questions, um, Kristen, I know, is a point person here, but um, feel free to reach out to me as well. I can, I'll be here after the meeting today if you have any questions. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pat. Making, making passionate disciples for Jesus Christ. So it's an it's a outstanding... Uh, Outstanding class. Pat, I appreciate your involvement here at RUMC and appreciate the difference you're making in the lives of men. So thank you. Um, speaking of making a difference in the lives of men, Jason's going to talk to us about our opportunity to make a difference in the lives of youth. I, uh, I appreciate any chance to come get a chance to uh, come and talk to you guys. Thank you. Tim, I promised five minutes, so we'll be done by eight, I promise. Um, Mike uh, Long has pretty much established a wonderful um, logo, phrase, mission for our church and that we should journey together. So across the street, we have some young men uh, who have come through our program, who have done everything we've asked them to do, and are looking for a little bit more, a little bit further in, our, in their spiritual growth and their process. Um we established, borrowed basically, a, mini, a ministry model uh, that's that's not new, uh, but that resembles a house. We like our wonderful house over there. It looks like a house, so we kind of take that model. We have the front porch. Front porch. Remember last time I was here, we talked a little bit about that. It's where you invite people in. It's not very deep. It's just where it's the invitation. So we have wonderful front porch activities. We move into the living room. The living room is where we do life together. It's where you sit around, where we do small groups and all that kind of stuff together. When you move from the living room into a kitchen table, the kitchen table is, as you can see, very close to one another. You're, you're much more intentional. You're, you can smell each other's breath. You're so close. So it's a lot more intimate around the kitchen table. Not everybody can fit around the kitchen table is, an, is another analogy. Not everybody wants to be at the kitchen table. But we have some guys who want to be on the kitchen table. We've done a really good job at the front porch and living room. Kitchen table, we've struggled with a little bit, um, trying to find ways that we can really discipleship, disciple the number of students that we have who want and need to be individually discipled. 
We only have two full-time staff people, and we've got 250 active students across the street. You can see our dilemma there. So we've come up with this system, this program, this ministry that will allow us to do so. In the, in the spirit of journeying together, we're calling it the journey. And what we're asking for you to consider, whether you're 25 or 85, it doesn't matter, to go alongside a high school boy, young man this year during the school year. One-on-one discipleship mentoring. Uh, we will pair you with uh, a young man. Uh, this year is our kind of our pilot program. We're doing uh, high school only this year, um, and you would be you have a curriculum. Basically, it's a book of their choosing. They get to choose one of two books to read, and you read the book alongside them, with them, discuss it, talk about it. You'll also be assigned about five or six books of the Bible during the year that you'll read together. It's really at their pace, not your pace. You're just you're asking them what they have time for, what you can read together. Time commitment for you is no more than one hour a week. Uh, and no less than one hour every two weeks that you would spend talking to them on the phone or in person at a coffee shop or something like that. Um, I'm super, super excited about this opportunity. I think it's going to be amazing. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um, you guys uh, have shown your commitment to the leadership of the church, to the leadership of your organizations, your families, your businesses, and you're here at 6.45 in the morning. To, and the bacon's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> so I know you are committed for that purpose as well. And I honestly say it does not matter your age. You may think you're too old. You've got grandkids that age now, and you're too old. You're not. It's not about relating to them on a cultural level. It's about guiding them on a spiritual level. If you think, I don't have kids that age yet, I don't have any idea what that means or what that looks like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to. You can remember a lot better than those other guys what it used to be like, so you can relate a little bit more. So uh, don't worry about that. Worry about the fact that, and I, and I think it's Providence that I'm, I was following Pat and his discussion about being an intentional disciple and learning about being a better disciple, but my challenge to you is once we become disciples... We're called to make disciples. So often we're so concerned about being that we forget about the making part and the doing. If all we do is take, 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 and we soak it in and we become, 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 who are we and what are we doing with it? We just fill up and overflow and it's useless. So a call to you is to help us to make better disciples for our students, for our high school students. Again, not for everybody. I appreciate you. I thank you. And you think I don't have the time. I don't have the... I don't want to. I hate them. I don't want to even talk to them. I got you. We don't want you then. Okay? But uh, if you if you want to discuss it, talk about it, or even sign up. I've got applications. We'll put them in the back back there. Pick up one talk to us more. we got some information on the website you can look at. I can send you a letter explaining the, what the curriculum looks like. There's, there are a few other things. I'm, I'm hooking you with this thing, but there's a couple other responsibilities. There, the kids have responsibilities within the, within the youth group of leadership, evangelism, and some other things that they'll be responsible for, and you're basically their accountability partner is what, is what it boils down to. You're their accountability partner, and you're helping them discuss this text in the Bible and the, and the book they're reading. So that's really it. So if you're interested at all, Call me across the street. Let us know. Email us. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Okay? Thank you.
Thank you, Jason. Appreciate all you're doing with the youth. Um, you know, we talk about next steps, right? That's why we're here. We're talking, uh, talking about trying to take 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 a next step in our faith walk, and we've got a couple of opportunities with Pat and, and with Jason and with Mike. So please prayerfully consider those. You know, the other reason why I started this group is because there's a lot of men that I see every Sunday or a lot of Sundays that I just don't know that well, and I feel like we were pulling. You know, I've gotten to know so many of you so much better, and. Um, feel like we're pulling in the right in the same direction um feel we're part of this community even though i may not know you that well i you know i feel like uh feel like we're friends and um you know this is an opportunity for us to get to know each other a little bit better so as i was evaluating um you know uh the speakers potential speakers i was so excited that michael o'neill decided to join us you know, Michael has been leading us in worship um, for so many years, and um, and I'm just so so grateful uh, for his leadership at RUMC, um, and I'm glad that he's going to share with us today, um, and I'm glad I'm going to get a chance to learn a little bit more. I know many of you know him much much better than I, but as I've watched Michael over the years, you know, I've always been amazed to watch a man who's used his gifts for God's glory. And when he serves and when he's up at the, I'm not, I don't know much about, uh, uh, about music, but I, but I can recognize excellence when I see it. And we are so blessed to have, um, have a man, uh, uh, so talented and gifted and, um, um, so committed to excellence as, uh, Michael O'Neill leading us in worship on Sunday. So with that, Michael, please come share with us. Thank you very much, Tim, and thank you all, gentlemen. I, I hope that uh, after you have heard me speak, those of you who don't know me so well will not be saying, well, um, there's been a good reason that we haven't known Michael so well. <laughs> I haven't really missed that much in all these years. Yeah. If you come into my office, one of the first things you'll see is on the credenza uh, there on the wall, there's a, a little plaque that uh, says, it is what it is. Now, people have come into my office before and said to me, you know, that is uh, one of my least favorite uh, sayings, <laughs> and uh, I really don't care for it very much. And I understand, you know, if, if you don't care for it, it can be looked at in a lot of different ways. Now, if it is just sort of an acceptance of, you know, que sera, sera, what will be, will be, uh, then, yeah, I don't think I would like it very much either. But when I think of the phrase, it is what it is, I think of the serenity prayer. And I think about we change what we can. We accept what we can't change. We have the wisdom to know the difference in the two. It's also known as the AA prayer, but, you know, it's a beautiful prayer. And so often I think we focus on that last part of it, uh, the, the wisdom to know the difference in the two. But that second part, accepting that which cannot be changed, that's where it ties in for me with the it is what it is. How do we accept those things that can't be changed? 
because there are plenty of things that happen in our lives. And the older we get, and, uh, you know, I used to, when I would speak with, with folks and uh, and look out uh, across the room and see older gentlemen in the room, I, I thought about, you know, someday I'm going to be there with you. And now I'm across the room and I say, I, I am one of you. The um, For those of you who are of my age group, you will remember the cartoon strip Pogo. And you remember Pogo used to say, we have met the enemy, and he is us. <laughs> Here I am. Well, especially once we've lived a few years, we've experienced many things. Uh, it might be um, a, a job failure or a job just ending, you know, and then the middle of of our lives, the middle of our career, it happened for me. I was a college teacher and my college closed. So I was a tenured uh, professor and I thought I was protected, but I found out that tenure doesn't mean a lot if the college closes. So, okay, you got tenure. Uh, we have deaths in our family. Uh, parents, uh, friends, other family members. We have there are breakups of relationships. There are problems with children. There are all sorts of things that happen in life that it's hard to accept these things. But we have to deal with them. And really what I wanted to talk to you about this morning is how do we deal with those things that we have no control over? Uh, because I sure like to control things. Those of you who know me know I like to be in control. And if, if I see something that I think needs to be changed, if I can do it, I will change it. I don't just accept. But there are those things that we can't change. Because so I think about we want to be happy, but sometimes you can't be happy in these uh, problems in life. Agatha Christie, the great mystery writer, uh, once uh, said, I like living. I've sometimes been wildly, despairingly, acutely miserable, racked with sorrow, but through it all, I still know quite certainly that just to be alive is a grand thing. Now, I would suggest that from that statement, Agatha Christie recognized there was a difference between happiness and joy. And she chose joy. The dictionary defines happiness as a state of well-being, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Good. That's great. Definition of rejoice from which our word joy comes is to feel great delight to welcome or be glad. Now, depending on the translation, the Bible uses the words happy and happiness about 30 times and joy or rejoice 300 times. Ten <coughs> times the, the occurrences of the word happy. James 1, 2 says, and I love James, my favorite book of the Bible. This is about doing. 
Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. He goes on to uh, explain himself in the next couple of verses as he states, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, James is telling us that it's in facing our problems and in dealing with them that we ultimately experience joy, not happiness, joy. The Greek word for happiness is uh, makarios, and it refers to the freedom of the rich from uh, normal cares and worries. It describes someone who's received good fortune, money, health, children, grandchildren, etc. The Greek word for joy is kato, and that's described as the culmination of being the good mood of the soul. The ancient Greeks even suggested that uh, kato is found only in God, and it comes with virtue and wisdom. So think about it another way. Happiness is that wonderful feeling that we have when everything is going well. And I'm not discounting happiness. Happiness is great. You know, it's wonderful to have. But joy is what God gives us in the midst of the troubles of life when we put the trouble in his hands. Happiness is like uh, rising bubbles. It's, they're beautiful, and they're delightful, but they're fleeting. They just fade away. They pop. Joy is like oxygen. It's ever-present. You have to have it to live, to breathe. Lady Bird Johnson is someone that um, I always had a lot of respect for. First of all, because she was, was married to, to Lyndon. Some of you younger ones probably don't remember uh, Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson. But she was known especially for her uh, love of beauty around her, you know, beauty in nature. She is the one who was responsible largely for getting wildflowers planted uh, beside highways and getting fences to cover up junkyards and wrecked junk cars and all that sort of thing. And it, uh, uh, she was always obsessed with this sort of thing. Uh, and in her later years, uh, when she was living by herself, she used to wander around uh, in her garden and enjoy her flowers. Uh, and she would uh, stop and smell the flowers, stop and smell the roses, as they say. And that was one of her greatest joys. As she uh, continued to age, her eyesight grew weaker and weaker, and she was going almost blind. Got to the point where she couldn't even go wander in her garden anymore. So what she would do, she would have someone cut some flowers for her and bring them in, and she would sit in her chair uh, in her little study. And with a magnifying glass, she would take the magnifying glass and look at the single petals of a flower because that's about the only way she could enjoy them anymore as far as the sight is concerned and she described how she saw a new beauty in the flower then something that she had never seen before 
when she was looking at them and the only way that she could with what she had left now I would I would suggest that Lady Bird Johnson was finding the joy there she wasn't looking for happiness she would have been happier if she still had her eyesight but instead of complaining about that she found a new way to experience and that was joy you know, I've actually found in, uh, in my times of deepest sorrow and pain, fear, distress, uh, it's my faith in God that sustains me and gets me through a lot of the problems. And once again, those of you who know me know that I write poetry from time to time. And it's usually in those times of, um, of greatest distress and 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 worries that I will write a poem. Uh, and Scott Peck, do you remember the author Scott Peck? He wrote The Road Less Traveled. It was a big book back in the, gosh, I can't remember, probably in the 80s. Uh, and the book began with this phrase, with this sentence, or these sentences. It's the very first thing, the first chapter. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Now, after reading the first chapter of his book, I wrote this poem, and it's called Choices. God hasn't made it easy to live upon this earth. Instead, he lets us struggle from the moment of our birth. And we are given choices how this struggle we will face to live our lives in bitterness or live our lives with grace. It does no good for us to say that life has been unfair. What matters most is how we live with the struggles that we bear. For that's what life is all about. Each day has good and bad. But each day is a gift from God. And each should make us glad. And just as Scott Peck told us that life is difficult, it's important to understand if if we want to be fully alive, we're going to be experiencing pain, as I mentioned before. Broken relationships, lost jobs, careers unfulfilled, uh, issues with children, issues with parents, sickness, death, all of these cause grief. Different stages of grief, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, <clears throat> last for different times, lengths of times, uh, for each of us and depending on what it is that we are going through. But I remember being stuck in that depression uh, stage of grief years ago when uh, our son was experiencing uh, very, very serious drug addiction. Many of you know this. It's not something I talk a lot about, but um, it was 
was something that had a, an enormous effect on our family. Our son was uh, never walked across the stage for high school graduation. He received his GED while he was in a treatment program. Uh, and there were there was a period of time during his high school years that we truly believed uh, he would either end up in prison or dead. Um, it was a tough time. Uh, I remember waking up sometimes in the morning and just not even wanting to get out of bed. Um, and this was before I came to, to RUMC. But the reason I didn't want to get out of bed is because I didn't want to have to go face people. You know, I didn't, one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to go hear from other people about the wonderful experiences they were having with their children and all of that. Um, and I, I truly understood, I, I think, what depression was because I just couldn't pull myself out of it. I mean, it was just um, something that, that was there. And I remember sometimes thinking, and this was would get me up. I would say to God, "Okay, God, I mean, I just don't, I don't know what good I'm going to be able to do today. But at least help me keep from hurting someone else, even if I can't help anyone. At least let me not hurt anyone." And so I wrote a poem during that time called For Those Who Hurt. There is a pain that lives in me. It's found within my heart. No matter what I say or do, my life it won't depart. So how must I respond to it as I recognize its hold? I can't let it control my life or my soul it will unfold. I can't become immersed in grief and retreat into a shell for all I would accomplish is create a living hell to recognize its influence and channel it for good is a simple way to handle pain yet oft misunderstood but how can pain be used for good and grief be changed to peace as we learn to give to others we will feel our joy increase and the pain that will not lessen creates capacity to care. And through our grief, we comprehend a pure love that is most rare. It grows out of our deepest grief, but there it won't remain. It will sense the hurt in other lives and then try to ease their pain. One of the greatest gifts that came from the experience we had with our son and um, and I'm happy to report that he he came through all of that not not easily and not without scars um, but he um, the world would say he is very successful he makes you know he has a GED no college experience or anything but he makes far more uh, than I make, so the world would say he is successful. Uh, Mike Long, uh, my boss, uh, 
I make less than my son. So so good good can come from these situations. But one of the one of the greatest gifts that I have received through all of that is in my willingness to and I do this with with Kevin's permission. I mean, you know, I would never speak about him without uh, his knowing that and and allowing me the giving me uh, the opportunity and and the permission to do it. Uh, but one of the greatest gifts has been that other people have come to me through the years and said, you know, I've got an ex- a situation with with our son or our daughter or our spouse or whoever but they know that they can talk to me because uh, many people will sympathize but not everyone can empathize and in knowing that I have been through uh, some of these things with a loved one it maybe makes them a bit more comfortable in speaking with me so and I would say to you if any of you have an experience like like that and you wish to talk about it, I'd be happy to to at least listen. I don't know what I could share, but I could listen. Mother Teresa is one of the great souls of the 20th century, uh, or of any, any century for that matter. And I remember her response to a reporter once when he asked her how she was able to do the work that she did among the poorest of the poor in Calcutta with people who were dying they were um, uh, they, they stank uh, they, how could she do that day after day and knowing that she could go out and do so much more for them if she would just go around the world and speak and raise money and let the sisters of her order do that work and she said because when she held a body of someone who was close to death and she looked in their face maybe ravaged with disease dirty smelly she saw the face of Christ and I thought, what a... And, you know, after she died and it came out, many of you remember this, uh, about her own um, struggles with her faith in that um, she even admitted in writings to a a priest with whom she had a um, sort of a mentor to her through her career, and she admitted in many of the letters to him that she felt that... God was not present in her life. She could not feel the presence of God. It's sort of typical many times of prophets, isn't it? And and people who are so holy. Um, but for me, it just made her even a, a more admirable figure because even when she felt separated from God, from Christ, it never stopped her from the work that she did. Never. And I wrote, when I thought about her, to love one at a time. 
There was a time I wondered why a God who loved us so allowed such pain to mar our joy, but now today I know. For joy alone is not enough. It's pain that brings the growth. And in his wisdom, God knew best. He knew we must have both. So God has put us on this earth for joy and also pain. And through them both we learn to love, and through them both we gain. And gradually we learn that love is not a simple thing. Our task is clear, for to this world God's love it is we bring. The lives we live must show this love, a love that knows no bound, a love that shares all joy and pain wherever they are found. So God would have us love this world and love each one we find, to love one at a time until we love all humankind. I've also experienced a a lot of joy and happiness through the gift of music. I'll always be thankful that God granted me the the ability to appreciate music and also uh, some talent to to share the gift of music with others. Um, Some of the most profound experiences of joy I've had through the years have been uh, as I observed how music can transcend the, the limits of our earthly existence. Um, music is such a great gift. It was Robert Shaw. I mentioned this in a concert the other day. Robert Shaw, the great conductor of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, who could be so eloquent uh, in his in his words and his praises. He talked about great art and music specifically. He said music, great music, sometimes creates a window through which we can glimpse, just glimpse, the divine. And I think that is true. Uh, it certainly it is for me, and it's one of the reasons I want to share, uh, you know, what has been given to me. And because I've had some of those mountaintop experiences with music, I want other people to be able to have that. Because it is sometimes through those experiences that we can glimpse the divine and just have a hint of what awaits us uh, for eternity. But think of some of these examples uh, about how music touches lives. Individuals with Alzheimer's or dementia who still can find comfort and peace and sometimes even uh, an awakening uh, through music. Think about the Jewish prisoners uh, in Hitler's death camps who found solace and hope through music. There were choruses and orchestras that even existed in some of those camps. And true, they were, they were used to provide entertainment, uh, for the German guards, but at the same time, they provided a, a sense of purpose and meaning for those prisoners. Uh, think about African American slaves who s- created the spirituals and sang them those African-American spirituals that are still so loved today uh, were, were often, they often had hidden meanings. Uh, a lot of times they were, when they're talking about um, the, uh, the, the, the world uh, beyond and, uh, and the good that would come, they were talking about uh, the world up north and getting to freedom. But they also were were certainly talking about the world beyond because this world in which they lived was so awful 
and uh, music was something that spoke to them. I know my time is close to being up. I've just got a couple more things. Returning to the to the Bible, I think Philippians is a a great study and the difference between joy and happiness. You know, Paul wrote it while he was imprisoned in Rome, and he uses the words joy and rejoice and joyful 16 times uh, in in there and teaches us how to have true contentment in Jesus Christ despite our circumstances. Listen to this. He states in chapter 4, verses 4, 6, and 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Boy, for those of you who you know, sing, sing in the choir here, you know we've sung those words many times. Boy, they're great. Put to music and they're, they're great just listening to them. I love that passage because it, it doesn't suggest that we rejoice. It commands us to rejoice. And it's followed immediately by the command not to be anxious about anything. Joy is not about getting rid of our problems. It's about getting rid of the fear of those problems. Paul is not in a good place when he writes this. He's in prison. He's going to die soon. And the church in Philippi has dark days ahead. I mean, there's going to be a time of grief, of loss, of pain, of torture. Paul is not suggesting to these people to be happy. He's telling them to rejoice. You remember how I mentioned earlier that both poetry and music have an enormous uh, effect on me, and they're often very restorative influences in my life. For that reason, that sometimes I write poems that can also be used as hymns. And I wrote one uh, several years ago for the congregation here at RUMC. I can't remember exactly um, what the, the... the overall theme, well, I mean, I know the overall theme was, was about about joy, but I couldn't find a hymn that I wanted the congregation to sing. So I wrote one. <laughs> and, uh, and and we, we sang it on the Sunday morning uh, in the congregation. And it it's called, O Joy of the Dawning. I'm not going to try to sing it for you, but it's to the tune of um, the Ash Grove. Uh, some of you know the tune. That's the tune. And so I close uh, with with that. It's um, It reminds me, and I hope it reminds us, that we live our lives in an imperfect world. Uh, but that gift of joy... Not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Don't seek happiness. Happiness comes through uh, wonderful possessions. Can't keep our possessions. You know. Joy is something that surpasses all of that. Here it is. O joy of the dawning, God's Spirit is calling to all who will worship and greet the new day. A day full of promises, God dwells within us. With God's help, we go forth to work and to play. We go forth in joy, yet in clear understanding that this joy is absent in some we will meet. 
the joy that exists at the core of our being may still not be known by the strangers we greet. Lord, what can we do for the strangers in darkness, the women and men who have yet to see light? May our lives exhibit the truth of your being. The truth then perceived will provide them with sight. Lord, help us to share it, this joy of your presence, for only in giving will we then receive the joy of the dawning with your spirit calling is given to each who will choose to believe. So I'll leave you with that thought, gentlemen. Um, Seek joy. Um, I see every day, every morning, as a little resurrection. Um, It's, uh, no matter what happened the day before, it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. Uh, we were dead, and we we rose. Here it is. Here's a day, a day with opportunity. Don't miss the chance. No matter what is going on in your life, you can experience joy through Christ Jesus, through our Lord. And through the opportunities to uh, work and share with others, um, it's it's amazing uh, what we can do and what we can mean to others. Um, so it's I've got about two or three minutes. I was supposed to give you time to chat among yourselves, but I didn't do that. Uh, so, uh, uh, but I will just say, if you've got a you know a question or two, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, yeah and then um, a question or two. First of all, can we get it off of mine? Mike, you certainly have brought us up. God shared a lot of joy with us through your music over the years, and, and certainly you brought us a <coughs> encouraging message today, and uh, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of joy. So I'm sure all of us will have a joyful day, but. After that, we're done with the questions. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Please? I'd be happy to. Any? Are there any comments or questions? Or I have a question. Sure. Yeah. So the Michael O'Neill singers. I get. I went to work uh, ten years ago, and the guy that was working for me said, "Oh, you go to RMC. I'm a part of Michael O'Neill singers." Mm-hmm. How'd you start that? Was that an outreach for people beyond RMC, or because uh, it seems like there's a lot of non-RMCers in there, which is wonderful? Right? Oh yeah, there are. Yeah, the uh, actually, it's uh, we're in our 27th year now, uh, or getting ready to start our 27th season. Um, I had uh, started it uh, in Decatur before I actually even came to RUMC. And uh, Malone will remember, you know, when, when I came, when uh, RUMC asked me to come and, and serve as the director of music here, I said, well, I have this chorus, you know, could uh, I'd love to come here, but I would need to bring my chorus too. And so, so we did. And uh, and it is very much a, a community sort of organization. A lot of church members are in it, but it's a separate 501c3. But we are a partner ministry with uh, with RUMC, and uh, so a lot of people come uh, to the church. Uh, many have come over the years through through MOS and, and you know and vice versa. So, 
Anything else? And even with that income, you still make less than you do. Mike, yes. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that it is indeed with the combined income from RUMC and MOS, I make more than my sorry son. Less, make less than he does, yes. Actually, um, many devotional at uh, Harry Norman Realtors, and interestingly enough, the last one I led was on making a choice yeah. to be joyful. That it's a choice that we choose every day. It is. It's not something that we wait to come to us. Yeah. We have to go out and grab it and pull it in. Yeah. That's right. I agree. I agree. Anything else? Yeah. What's your favorite song? <laughs> Don't say it's in Latin. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, probably, probably my, my favorite hymn um, is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Yeah. For a number of different reasons that I won't go into right now, but I mean, just go look at the words sometime. Yeah, the uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite preacher? <laughs> Our time is up. Our time is up. You. You are dead to my glory. <laughs> I heard that in a meeting the other day. Maybe now to you. Every every minister with whom I have served over the years has very special gifts and oh, graces. <laughs> you learn well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes people. People say, "All right, you've you've been here at RUMC, RUMC for 23 years. Uh, how in the world have you lasted that long?" I said, "Lord only knows how long." <laughs> but uh, part of it is is deciding um, which battles to fight and, and you know which not. It's it's the serenity prayer. <laughs> there we go. So, well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I hope you have a great uh, a great day. Let's have a word of prayer before we go. Lord, I thank you for this group of men who give so unselfishly of themselves uh, to their church, to their families, to you. And I, I pray your blessings and, and your guidance uh, on them and in their lives as they continue uh, to to try to be your 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 hands and your feet in this world. Be with each of us as we try to do good and as we look for opportunities to experience joy in all things that happen in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. amen. amen.